Beloved brothers and sisters in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in my church in, in Burlington, I have uh, been working through Colossians, and there is this section within Colossians 18, 3, 18 to 4, verse 1, that we've been looking at over the last few weeks, which, which looks at the relationship between wives and husbands, between parents and children, and then masters and slaves, or slaves and masters. And when you look at those verses in context, what you find is that those verses are talking about being redeemed in Christ, that the Colossian believers are those who believe in Jesus Christ. They're deeply endeared, loved people of God. They have been saved from death, brought into new life. They have Christ as their Savior, and He is their Lord, Lord of all their life. And they're called to put off the old nature, put on the new nature, to live that new life that they have in Christ. And then what Paul does in these verses, when he looks at these different relationships, is he shows how that living of this new life in Christ extends to all of life. It's, it's your marriages, it's, it's your families, and what we're going to see this morning is it's your work life. Now, we have to be careful here because we can jump really quickly into looking at this as talking about work, but it does say slaves and masters. That connection is there, but we have to work a little bit to get there, and you don't want to jump too quickly. And some people will do that. They'll just take this passage and say, well, masters and slaves, well, that's just talking about employers and employees. But the challenge is that slavery is and was a, an oppressive system where human beings were owned by another human being. Now, that is, you may say, my boss owns me. You may feel like there is this system around us where we're sort of enslaved to other people, to banks or to credit cards or whatever, that you're sort of bond servants, so to speak. You're, you're, you're owned by them and you're just working for them. The challenge is, is that these slaves did not have any rights really to speak of. They were basically seen as property. Aristotle, when he, when he talked about things, he talked about tools. So you had inanimate tools like a hammer and you had animate tools like animals and slaves. So the Roman Empire, that, that slaves were, they had a pretty tough life. And we have to be careful not just to, to disregard it because this is a text that, that many people throw back at Christians as, as being one that validates and affirms slavery. Because Paul does appear to not really say anything against slavery in this passage. So is Paul affirming slavery? This, this way of, of living? And we have to understand that the slavery that was in, in place in the ancient world at this time is not like the slavery that we know from the American history and even a little bit of Canada's history, but mostly in the U.S. with a race base where you had a, a race from Africa taken here and they were, they were brutally forced into labor. And they had th that, that type of slavery was much different than the slavery that was there in the, in the Greco-Roman world 2,000 years ago. When you look at slavery in that context, you would have doctors who were slaves, so you would have medical slaves, you would have, dem you would have pedagogues, with the word pedagogy, that comes from the slave that taught the students, or the slave that brought them to the tutor. You had teachers that were slaves, you had doctors, you had, they were of all colors, they, they were all races, it was sometimes 
by, um, by, by ethnic, you know, a, a nation was co- conquered, that type of thing. But oftentimes it was because they owed money and they sold themselves. You, you see the, the ESV kind of preserves that sense by bond servant. The idea is you're under, under obligation. And so some will try and say, because it was such a big part of Roman life, Paul didn't want to upset the apple cart. There are estimates, they range, but from 25 to 40% of every single person in the Roman Empire was a slave. Think about that. 25 to 40%. Staggering. And many of them were Christians. And interestingly, their masters would often be Christians as well. So... Some will argue, well, Paul's just upholding this economic institution. The the Roman Empire is built on it. He doesn't want to upset that. He just wants to promote the gospel. And he doesn't get into it at all. Others have argued, well, hey, you know, it wasn't that bad. It was a pretty good system. But that's not accurate either. To try and elevate slavery in those days to be some sort of noble way of having a work arrangement. So how does this passage speak to us? Is Paul affirming slavery? What we're going to see this morning is he does not. What he is doing here is he he does not speak explicitly against it, but what he says, and that's what we're going to see, effectively undermines the whole concept of slavery and would in time lead to a breakdown in the system of slavery. We're going to see it because we're going to take a look at the letter to to Philemon. That, That letter there, you see it clearly, affirming slavery, but at the same time saying to the slave owner, that it's going to be difficult for you to continue to be a master of your brother in Christ in the way that you used to be. And so there's that tension. So we're going to work through that. But also what we're going to see is that in these verses, what you have really is a theology of work. How does a Christian serve another Christian? And how does a Christian interact with someone who serves them? And that's how we can make this this jump from a slave-master relationship to an employee-employer relationship. Not by somehow reducing our work and and elevating that slavery that was there, but by taking the understanding of work and elevating that as part of your life and what that means in your walk before Christ. And so that's what we're going to look at today. I wanted to to get that out of the way. This is a a text that a lot of non-Christians will point to and say the Bible just reinforces this, this, rate, or this, this, this class system of slave, slavery, that's not really what's going on. We need to address it before we get into the passage. And having done that, we're going to now turn our attention to the passage and, and see how Paul says, this part of your life, that's part of your life in your Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has saved you, but he is your Lord, and you live all of life in relationship to him. And so he begins then with looking at slaves or we can use today employees. So in the text, he says, slaves or bond servants, obey your masters in everything. That's the NIV here. It says, in everything, obey your masters. And that is a passage that needs to be written for the early Christians. Simply because they're Christians doesn't mean that they no longer have an obligation to follow their earthly masters and obey their earthly masters. And that's something that we see with Onesimus. Paul is in prison, and somehow or other, he and Onesimus, this runaway slave, they come into contact with each other, and he sends Onesimus back to Philemon. 
his master. So Paul would love for him to be free, but he understands that Onesimus is in this relationship of, of being a servant or a bondservant to, to Philemon, and he sends him back. He's saying, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that all these other relationships don't matter, that you don't have people that you report to, that you work for. And interestingly, he defines, there's a play on words, I'm just seeing if the ESV has it, it says masters, but literally the word is Lord. The word that in, in the Greek, when it says in verse 22, obey in everything your earthly, literally, lords, and then later on, you are serving, in verse 30, I'm, my arms are getting shorter. In verse 24, you are serving the same word, Lord Christ. Sorry, I've, it's only been two years, but the eyes have, uh, and I forgot my glasses. Um, so, what Paul is saying is he's saying you obey your lords, your earthly lords, and the Lord Jesus. And even though he encourages slaves in other places to get freedom, it's not a reality for all of them to get their, their freedom. And so he says, in that system, you still have Christ as Lord. And that still means that you live your life underneath him. And that relationship is something that where you still within that relationship, serve the Lord. And he says that service is to be genuine. You know, not just when their masters are around and just to look good, but with a singleness of heart and reverence for the Lord, out of fear for the Lord. Not out of fear for their masters, their earthly masters, but out of a fear for the Lord Jesus. So work from the heart. It's not just about putting in a good effort, but wanting to put in a good effort. And that's different. I don't know if you guys have had that, where you work with somebody, they work really hard, but they hate their job, and they hate the people they work for, and they'll actually get upset with coworkers who don't put in a good effort, but it's not out of a love, or a, a desire to, to really serve their, their employers, they're just kind of doing it, and they're doing it for the work, but Paul's saying, no, from your heart, want to serve them and do a good job. You can think about Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. Do you guys ever think about that? Paul was a high-level bureaucrat. Or Paul. Daniel. Daniel was a high-level bureaucrat in the Babylonian Empire. He served the man who had killed off much of his family. Daniel was from the royal, from the royal, somehow connected to the royal family. Killed many of them. Exiled the the cream of the crop of, of Israel, and now he is serving Nebuchadnezzar, the man who did that to his nation. And it's fascinating to see how Daniel does that. He continues to serve the Lord. Nothing compromises that. But at the same time, he cares deeply, and he works diligently for Nebuchadnezzar. And you see it in, in, in Daniel 4 when, when there's that vision of the tree. Children, perhaps you remember that Nebuchadnezzar has these dreams. He can't remember everything about them and he wants somebody to interpret them. And there's this vision of a tree that grows up and all the birds of the year, they all make their nests in it. And then that tree gets chopped down and is left for seven years to just sit there. And then Daniel, the vision is revealed to Daniel, the meaning of it. And Daniel says, I was shaken in my heart 
And he went back to Nebuchadnezzar and he said, Oh, if only this was about your enemies and not you, my Lord. Because the tree is you. Daniel cared for his master and he served him from the heart. He didn't just do it, not just do it to please him, to make sure he didn't, didn't suffer. No, he did it genuinely from the heart. And what Paul does here in Colossians is he places the reason for working from the heart, not in the person of the earthly Lord. He places it in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see that in the text? Do it as if serving the Lord Christ. So that means that whatever act of work that they do is an act of worship to the Lord. You know, they may receive some sort of compensation from their owners. We might receive some sort of salary or, or, or income from, from our, our employers. But ultimately, we don't do it for that reward. We do it for the reward, the inheritance of eternal life that we have with Jesus Christ, our Savior, the one who died for us, who gave his life for us, who gave us new life by his Holy Spirit, the one to whom we belong and, to the, one, and the one to whom we, we give our service. And Paul says, there's this sort of verse that's a sort of a transition from the, the, the section looking at slaves to the section looking at masters. He says, you know, God doesn't play favorites. There's no favoritism with God. He will repay wrong for those who have done wrong. There's no favoritism with him. It doesn't matter who you are. So you, as one who has this relationship of slave to master, you serve God in your work. Doesn't mean you follow them in wrong. Doesn't mean you do. If your employer is doing things that are not pleasing to God, which are out of line with what it looks like to live that new life in Christ, that you just follow along because that's what everybody does. No, but he's saying you cannot use as justification for doing something against your employer because he's not godly or because he's not a Christian or because he's doing certain things that somehow you can go against him and say, I repay him. No, God will punish. There is justice that comes from God. It's something to think about when you look at work. That you work for the Lord and that your work is an act of worship and that it has dignity. Not a dignity that's based in you know, how high up you are and how valuable you are to your employer, to your earthly master. It's not based in, in having equal standing with their earthly lords or having some sort of social status. No, they, there is something about the way Paul describes the status of a slave that was revolutionary for that time, it humanized them in a way they were not used to being humanized. They were property. Understand this. They were animate tools. That's what the, that's what the Greco-Roman world viewed them as. They were like a, like a hammer or a plow, but simply they walked around and they moved around and they were property. And he humanizes them. You belong to the Lord Jesus Christ and your work is not focused first of all on your earth, but it's on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that means that your work doesn't make you less. And that was something that was there in the Roman Empire. I think it's something that's still here today. Work is something that makes you less. 
Like, do you think when you go to work tomorrow morning that somehow you're becoming less of a person? You're sort of giving up a part of your soul? You know, you're putting in your, your eight hours and you're, you're becoming less. It's dehumanizing. That's, that's how the world around us still views labor. Work. You might be here today and you might have a job that seems meaningless to you. You're, you're doing order entry or you're, you're, you're digging a hole or you're, you're doing something where you're like, eh, don't, what's the point of my job? My boss might really be a, you know, not a pleasant person. He might belittle you. He might be a lousy boss. You know, yeah, find a job you love. That is, that is wonderful. Do it if you can. But when you're living in that relationship now, when you're doing that work, it's part of your life under Jesus Christ. And it is not something that makes you less. It is something that has incredible meaning and dignity because you're doing it for Jesus Christ. You do it as one who belongs to him, a servant of Jesus Christ. So every step you take, every, every time you swing the hammer, every time you file something, you are doing it as a servant of the Most High King of heaven and earth. Being a Christian doesn't make your work less meaningful. You know, that's one of the challenges. Sometimes employers will have that with Christians. I don't know if you've had that. You're supposed to be doing something for your boss, and then you meet somebody and you get to share the gospel. And you're like, yeah, I shared the gospel. You didn't do your job, but you felt, because I'm a Christian, I have a higher calling that leaps over my boss and if I get to share the gospel with somebody and not do the job, I'm actually serving the Lord better. Paul would say, no, your job before the Lord Jesus Christ is to serve your earthly master. And just because you're a Christian, it doesn't negate that relationship. You're not a better Christian if somehow you're, you're not doing your job. And so that's something that you need to think about when you look at work. How do you view work? You don't identify yourself by your jobs. You identify yourself by Christ. And you see your work as a new way of having worth, a new motivation for working genuinely from the heart as serving the Lord. It doesn't mean we compromise our faith. But we say, I belong to Jesus Christ. And when my employer has my service, he has the service of one who belongs to the king. And he has an employee that bases their work not on their position as their employer or the, the amount of pay, but on their relationship to Jesus Christ. And they have a mindset and an approach to work that makes them employees that employers want to have. You know, these employers might not believe in Jesus Christ. They might not like how our faith impacts the uh, how certain parts of our lives are not accessible to them, for instance, certain days or Sunday, but, but they might not like it that our faith impacts all of life. But when they see us work serving Jesus Christ, they can never hold anything against us. 
They say, this is, the per- this is the way I want all my people to work. Somebody who works genuinely from the heart, and they're serving me in a way I don't deserve to be served. And then, Matt, and then Paul turns his attention to the masters, to the employers. And he says something that is even more revolutionary. Because that they were addressed at all was unheard of. He says, your life as a master is also under the lordship of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ, he died on a cross for them. They are servants of Jesus Christ. They belong to him, body and soul, all of their life is lived in Christ Jesus as Lord. And that means that as a master of slaves, as an employer of employees, they are under the Lord Jesus Christ. The idea that there was a standard by which slaves were to be treated, that was a new concept for the world. Yes, they had certain things about how to treat your slaves well, but not like this. This idea that there was a a sense of justice and rightness. He says, masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly. For the average slave owner, justly and fairly? What does that mean? They're slaves. Like, treat your hamsters justly and fairly. What does that mean? They're, they're, just, they're just things. How can I treat them justly and fairly? Paul's saying, no, there's a standard. These are brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ, and there is a standard by which you treat them justly and fairly. You're under God. God determines what is just and fair. You don't just treat your employees the way you want. There's a way that is right and just. And too often employers get a pass when it comes to how they treat employees. You know, we follow the way of the world, that of power and money. Paul doesn't. Just because you got lots of money, Philemon, doesn't matter. He even goes so bold as to say, you owe me your very life as well. Do you get that? The Lord used me to bring the gospel to you. And that gospel took root in your heart. Your very life was saved by it. I'm not going to compel you. I want you to do it out of love, but I want you to understand what's going on. You belong to Jesus Christ. He saved your life. And this is Onesimus, your brother. Don't receive him back just as a piece of property. Receive him back better as a brother in Jesus Christ. But too often we follow the way of the world when it comes to employers and employees. You know, those who employ others, they have a sort of power and influence that others don't. But not with Jesus Christ, not in his church. It's one of the beauties of having elders who work for their who work for people and who are actually the elders for their employers. It's actually something the world would kind of wonder about. I'm the president of this company, 
and there's this guy who works for the guy that reports to me and the guy that reports to He's like three, four levels under me, but he's coming to visit me and my family tonight. And it's a big deal because he's my elder in Christ the Lord. The world has a way of looking at status and position where those who have money and those who have, those are the ones that are up here. But no, you serve the same Lord and Master. In fact, in Scripture, you often see it that employers are confronted, not given a free pass. James 5, 4, he's talking to the church. James is talking to the church. He's saying, you know, Master, the wages that you have failed to pay your laborers are, are crying out. Micah 6, 8, what does God require of you? you know, act justly. Walk humbly with the Lord. A Christian master is not to treat his or her slaves as property. They are to treat them with dignity and honor as those who are fellow servants under the Lord. They're to care about them. They're not to be like the world around them that simply views their, their slaves or their employees, so to speak, as, as sort of tools property. You have to understand that that standard of righteousness and justice would have been offensive to many. It's something that is sometimes not understood when we read the letter to Philemon. Paul was asking Philemon to do something which would have made his fellow slave owners very upset. That Philemon would receive back without punishing Onesimus would have been a problem for all the other slave owners, because it would mean that their slaves might see what he did, and it would undermine the system. But Paul says to do that, and in doing so, he undermines the whole system of slavery, where you have masters who care about their slaves and who do it under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And what's interesting is that Christian masters, Christian employees today, employers today, reflect their Lord, their master, in how they treat their employees, their slaves. Do you think about those, those of you who have people working for you? When your employees look to you, do they see somebody who loves them and who cares about them as a human being and wants to see them thrive and flourish? Do they see someone who loves them and cares about them in a way that reflects how they understand that they are loved and cared for by the Lord? That's the beauty about being a Christian employer. You were saved by Jesus Christ. You received undeserved love and grace from your master. And the way you are a master is the same with your employees. Doesn't mean you let your employees not do anything. Doesn't mean you're a, you, know, you can be a bad businessman and make horrible decisions because, well, I'm a Christian. I just got to be nice and gentle and walk over boss. No. You want them to thrive and flourish. You want them to be everything that they can be. 
And you do it not because you want to be liked by them. You don't do it because it's something that's going to make you more money, although it might. You do it because you serve the Lord. And your act of employing somebody is an act of worship. You know, we talked about Christian employees bringing glory to God by the way they work. But do Christian employers bring glory to God by the way they manage, by the way they lead their employees? If you're a boss, if you're a manager, do people look at you and say, he leads in a way that's not like other people. He genuinely cares about me. And he reflects something of his Savior in the way he leads, in the way he works. That's what Paul's saying here. You have the same master in heaven. And that's a message that speaks most powerfully today. Whether you're an employee or an employer, that part of your life is not separate from your life in Christ. You were bought by Jesus Christ. You belong to him. He's your savior, but he's also your king, your Lord. And all of life, your family, your marriage, but also your Monday to Friday, your everyday grind, whatever you're doing, it belongs to Jesus Christ. And it's an act of worship. It's part of the new life you have by the Spirit. Don't resent it. Take hold of it. Live that new life even in your work, whatever you do. Work as though you're working for the Lord. Lead as though you're leading for the Lord. Your work has dignity, it has purpose, and it has meaning because it's part of your new life in Christ. Amen.